Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Road to Infinity. Uh, this is where myself and my co-pilot, Glenn, uh, Glenn is my co-pilot. That should be my, my bumper sticker I have in there instead of Jarvis. <laughs> Uh, but uh, anyway, we uh, take the Road to Infinity War challenge with a hashtag in front of it for some reason, uh, where basically you watch another Marvel movie every week, every week, every week, leading up to Infinity War, because it's exactly 18 weeks in to the year that we get the end of an era, the end of the of this, of, this is way different than Avengers itself, it's, it's different than anything that's come along, Infinity War is the end of all of it, like everything is this this ten years worth of movies, almost twenty movies has led to this. Uh, it will, and by Infinity War's end, which will be the part two to that movie, whatever they call it, uh, it will exactly be twenty movies. It'll be twenty movies in that book, twenty chapters. So here we are, finally, at one of the weirdest and most sectioned off separated franchises we're at guardians of the galaxy uh a movie that just took everyone by surprise and basically gave marvel a pass that said you can make whatever you want and it will be a hit um this movie was announced in 2012 a lot of people really didn't think much of the movie um they were like are they really going to do the Guardians of the Galaxy? And people were like, well, which Guardians of the Galaxy are you going to do? The old ones, new ones, everything in between. Um, but Feige uh, announced uh, this movie at like Comic-Con 2012, and then a, within a few months he had hired James Gunn uh, to direct it and uh, take over the script, uh, which the script had been written by Nicole Perlman and changed drastically once... Um, James Gunn was brought in. Joss Whedon was very vocal in support of the James Gunn hiring uh, and, and made a lot of very nice statements. And at the time, uh, Joss Whedon still was the man in comic book movies. He was the leader of all of this, and he was very excited, so that was cool. Um, but James Gunn did have competition for the job. Uh, he went up against Peyton Reed, who would later take over Ant-Man, and the duo, directing duo, of Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck, who would go on to do Captain Marvel, which is due to be out like next year or the year after that, something like that. Um, but this movie, I mean, he, great success. Great success. Uh, of course, it, it came out in August 2014, uh, right at the end of the summer. Um, it actually broke records for... Um, uh, it's the only what was it? It was the only movie to ever come out in August, but then to be the number one grossing movie of that year. Yeah. Like, crazy numbers. Uh, it came out to... Uh, it had a modest budget, but it came out to almost $800 million, is how much it made at the box office worldwide. And for Guardians of the Galaxy, now we think of, oh, they're, they're great. Guardians of the Galaxy is amazing. I love watching that. But at the time, it was like, wow. How did this... How did the budget was under two hundred million dollars? How did he make this much money? Well, it wasn't the easiest road to get made, but it wasn't the hardest at all. Um, of course, uh, rewriting the script, um, 
Nicole Perlman, um, she she was she is technically credited as the first woman to write a Marvel movie, but her script was heavily changed. Uh, like she had a big Star Wars kind of story going along with it, uh, with action Star Wars action figures that Peter Quill had when he was a kid. And recently, it's become a big deal, big story that um, yeah, James Gunn said yeah, I had to drop that um, because I wanted it to be the Walkman and music and tapes and really that music because so many people are tied to music and in it creates a nostalgic factor and, and it creates a very cool atmosphere as well the music they chose but just music in general that's something that the mom passed on to the kid uh, I, I wouldn't expect his mom to be like oh yeah I love Darth Vader you're going to love Darth Vader too like in the early 80s no that's not really how parents were but music music makes sense so oh, I'm really oh, glad yeah. well the, what was really glad about uh, happy about it was that it, with the music and, and that change it opened it up to not just your average uh, Marvel fan. I mean, people who actually uh, like that style of music, you know, that soundtrack was selling out like nobody's business. Uh, yeah, uh, it was the first soundtrack in a long time, if not almost ever, to be number one. I've got a uh, yeah, actually the the volume one soundtrack reached number one on the U.S. Billboard chart. Uh, it was the first film soundtrack ever to do that without any original music, and it was Which nominated. Is amazing. Yeah, it was nominated for 2015 Grammy Award for Best Soundtrack. Didn't win, but it was nominated. Probably should have won. Uh, but yeah, that, that's that's an amazing statistic uh, just for the the talent of the just musical choice. That's that's a talent in itself. Um, and and yeah, my mom actually her the only Marvel movies she actually likes are Guardians of the Galaxy. She says because of the colors and because of the soundtrack, basically. So. Yep. There's people that go to movies for that. There's some people go for the story, but the one with the story is off like this. And honestly, Volume Two story was way more coherent and important than Volume One's. Volume One's is an origin story, and that's it's it's, it's it, it, as good as it is. It's still just an origin story. Like you know, you have you you have easy an easier road with an origin story, but also a simpler story to tell with an origin story. Hey, these guys yeah. come together to fight a bad guy. All right. Sweet, <laughs> and they cool. gave us just enough of each character that it was the movie was able to move at a fast pace, and you know we were able to keep up with what was going on. Yeah, James Gunn actually he said that character introductions were quote the hardest scenes to crack. Uh, he said with Thanos's introduction being the most difficult, he felt that having Thanos uh, be in that scene was more helpful to the MCU than it was to the Guardians of the Galaxy. Yet he still wanted Thanos in the film. Um, without belittling the actual antagonist of the film, Ronan, the accuser. Um, And to solve that problem, Gunn chose to have Ronan kill the other, which is played by Alexis Denisov, who was very powerful. Uh, In Avengers, it it was shown that he was intimidating to even Loki. Uh, But Ronan basically just killed him like he was nothing. And um, he said, uh, quote, I thought that was interesting because we've had the other, who's obviously very powerful, even in comparison to Loki, and then we see Ronan wipe his ass with him. So that I liked. But even that was sort of difficult because it played as funnier when I first wrote it, and the humor didn't work. I didn't think it was funny when I saw it. I thought, oh, fuck. That's, that was my first thought. Um, it was an so. awesome way to die. I mean, very rarely do you see a really graphic, you know, that was... It's like, oh, balls. People yeah, in space don't play around. <laughs> yeah, it's like, this is the dude that kept popping up throughout Avengers telling Loki, you're my bitch, do my bidding. And all of a sudden, <laughs> Ronan just relieved him of his duties. Yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, a couple other uh, 
side notes because the cast is amazing. Um, and I want to get into the cast. Actually, let's let's start off with this amazing, amazing cast. I mean, just the five Guardians. Peter Quill, played by Chris Pratt. Gamora, played by Zoe Saldana. Drax, played by Dave Bautista. Vin Diesel uh, plays Groot's voice. And Bradley Cooper plays Rocket, or Raccoon's voice. What an awesome cast to be in. And let, let me just remind people, this is Guardians of the Galaxy. I'm sure most people don't have a problem thinking, how? Like, even still to this day, how did these people agree to this? Like, this was never guaranteed to be a hit. Definitely the hit that it is, because it's the most consistent, successful Marvel franchise that's out there. Like, it doesn't yeah. have a, a, a low... Um, so it won't have to deal, like, Volume 2 didn't dip down like Iron Man 2. Volume 1 didn't suffer as much as First Avenger. Like, it's just, oh my god. And then just thinking of the third one, oh my god. Uh, so, Chris Pratt, Star-Lord, he actually beat out Joel Edgerton, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Zachary Levi, uh, uh, Michael Rosenbaum, and several others for the role of Star-Lord. Um, he actually beat out Lee Pace, uh, who played Ronan. Um, and if you don't know who Lee Pace is, uh, right before he did Guardians, he did The Hobbit. So he was coming off of a really strong campaign to be Star-Lord. Um, because he was in all three of the Hobbit movies, because for some reason there was three of those. Yeah, he was the king, the elf king, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and then we had um, uh, Vin Diesel. He, uh, he, he was Groot, and that was personally chosen because him and James Gunn are friends but Batista, Dave Batista, had to beat out Jason Momoa for the part and despite Jason's claims uh, Dave Batista did beat him out for the part they never called Jason about the part so you know he can go swim with his fish in his, <laughs> in his practically doomed Aquaman movie yeah um, boy yeah he doesn't have a lot of momentum going to that movie but good luck to Jason Momoa there's always his Netflix series That's right. um, but uh, side note, cool thing about Vin Diesel and Bradley Cooper, the voice actors, uh, Vin Diesel recorded I Am Groot slash We Are Groot in Russian, Mandarin, Spanish, German, French, and a lot of other uh, languages so that everyone could hear his voice. Like, Which every region cool. could hear his voice. That's pr- pretty cool. Because, just, just to show you how many times, I mean, you say, oh, it says I Am Groot, We Are Groot. It's like, no, he didn't just have to say that in those... He read all of his lines and just repeated them in other languages, too. And in English alone, he recorded I Am Groot over a thousand times. A thousand times, yeah. That's nuts, man. It's nuts. And the fact that he was willing to do that in every language, that's kind of cool. So Groot has that, that voice. And, you know, as as you know, you can say it's just three three words, but, I mean, the way he acted it is something that sometimes it was comedic timing. Sometimes it was sympathetic sounding and sometimes it was just that pure Vin Diesel anger you wanted to hear and it's awesome it's just awesome yeah see that's the one thing that that aggravates me a lot when people make the claim that voice actors aren't really acting which you what people don't realize is James Earl Jones said it best he was asked in an interview you know so I see you're doing a lot of voiceover work that must be the easiest gig you have no it's not when he is acting on a movie set or if he's on a in a play on Broadway he gets reaction from the audience or from the people on set when you're in a sound booth recording your voice yep. uh, for a voiceover gig it's just you mm-hmm. and you've got to convey sadness and happiness and everything and I'll give Vin Diesel this uh, as many of you know people want to hate on him with the whole 
Fast and Furious franchise and everything else. What he did in this movie for Groot, you got sadness, you got funny, you got horror. I mean, he conveyed and, it all just by saying, I am Groot. And star power. Fucking Vin Diesel was the man that only says three words, I am Groot. That was Vin Diesel. <laughs> like, come on. And Bradley Cooper coming off of Silver Linings Playbook. And, of course, he had massive success with the Hangover trilogy. And he played Rocket Raccoon. He actually was on Howard Stern. He actually said that he was paid more for voicing Rocket Raccoon than for Silver Linings Playbook and the Hangover movies combined. Which is awesome. Which is like, yeah, that Disney money. And, oh, yeah, those indie movies that can go for awards. You're not going to get paid a lot for those. You just do this because you want to. Um, but uh, th- that was, oh, man, so cool. Uh, and then behind the scenes, there's a lot of neat stuff. Um, like, they, they were really, really cool and close-knit. Like, oh, James Gunn, he would keep a pile of Play-Doh containers. And if someone did an especially amazing job on the set, like whether it was an actor, grip, stuntman, personal assistant, anyone, he they would get a canister of Play-Doh. He said he gave out about 40 over the entire 85-day shoot um, with a crew of 200. And he just said, I love the smell of Play-Doh. Uh, opening a new container and smelling it puts me in a creative, childlike place. And he was like, who doesn't love playing with Play-Doh? It was stupid. But I guarantee you, all those people, especially like grips and stuff, if they got one of those containers of Play-Doh, it went up onto a on a shelf in their house like yeah James Gunn gave me Play-Doh yeah then you you look at uh, Dave Bautista he gave uh, Chris Pratt and Bradley Cooper WWE belts Uh, yeah it's always out on and Chris Pratt he gave those guys the custom WWE belts because I don't think they ever worked with Bradley or Vin I mean I'm sure they saw each other but like not like worked with him but I, I read about that because I, I had read that James Gunn gave Batista a Drax lunchbox because Batista has this huge vintage lunchbox, lunchbox collection yes. uh, so they, they were like all really cool and close behind the scenes um, and I mean that would make sense I mean James Gunn even added in a lot of people from previous movies Slither uh, like Michael Rooker, Greg Henley uh, Nathan Fillion get, had a, and Rob Zombie gave their voices, Lloyd Kaufman was in it um that was random. That yeah. was the most random cameo I had. If for those who don't know who Lloyd <laughs> Kaufman is, he created Troma, uh, uh, Toxic Avenger, uh, all those crazy, stupid B movies that. Yeah. Uh, I, there's one guy I know that likes all that crap, and it's just holy Jesus. Yeah. Wow. And then to see him as an inmate is like, okay. Yeah, it's it's pretty awesome. Um, and and just since we're we're talking about the the cast, and I was just going through other behind-the-scenes stuff that just reminded me of that. Uh, let's get outside of the Guardians, and let's just go through the cast, because this is a brand-new cast. Like, fresh. Like, there's no carryover except for the Collector, which is awesome. Uh, we had Lee Pace, who f- did not get the uh, role of Peter Quill, but uh, he got Ronan, and we just mentioned him. He was in the uh, the Hobbit movies, and he, of course he, he had a massive rush over the course of 2012 to 2014. He had three Hobbit movies and Guardians of the Galaxy. That man will never have to work again. Good job. Uh, <laughs> um, playing his number one uh, as far as what who actually worked for him, uh, Jamon Hansu, I believe is his name. I, yes. I don't know how to pronounce his name. I know I recently saw him Legend of Tarzan, and he was awesome. Um, and he actually, what's really weird is he played Black Panther in this TV miniseries uh, right before 
uh, he did Guardi- uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. But I remember seeing him from the Gladiator movie and Blood Diamond. Yeah, he was in. Uh, he was the the uh, voodoo king in cost in uh, uh, Keanu Reeves Constantine. Oh, he was yeah, the guy yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. And he was in. I remember seeing him in Laura Croft. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he's had, he has a cool career. He actually said he he actually said I don't have the exact quote pulled up or anything, but I remember he said that he joined the cast of this movie to be in a Marvel movie um, because his son had made a disturbing comment that he wishes that he was white to because he wanted to be Spider Man and Spider Man was white, and he was like, "All right, I, I've got to get into into Marvel somehow." And I mean, he had the acting chops to back it up. So it's, I mean, he he was definitely a good, a great choice, especially to be like a kind of a, a basically a grunt almost. He's very great acting grunt. Um, oh yeah. And I'm glad he lasted throughout the whole movie. But um, obviously, that kid doesn't have to worry anymore because you know Miles Morales set up in the Spider Universe. Black Panther is a you know huge hit, of course. So. Uh, but also um, a couple other people in this movie that you may have heard of. Karen Gillen is Nebula. Michael Rooker is Yondu Udanta. Uh, Michael Rooker, of course, uh, coming right from The Walking Dead over back into movies. But uh, who can forget Michael Rooker in the amazing uh, Mall Rats? Yes. I don't, I don't like to say <laughs> Mall Rats. But I like to. I, I like that movie. I liked him in everything he's done. I loved him in Slither. Um, he he just he keeps acting and he keeps st- staying in movies. I mean, one of his his I believe maybe his first role ever that counts is Henry Portrait of Serial Killer, and yeah. man, did he pun intended kill it with that one. And it, it just led him down this road of like, oh, he's been a top-notch guy ever since Mississippi Burning. Um, I believe he was in, I, I, he was in Mallrats about the same year he was, maybe a couple years after he did Cliffhanger. Wasn't he in Tombstone? I could have sworn he was in Tombstone. Uh, yes, he was. I don't, yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah, was yeah. in Tombstone. He had hair then, so I was trying to remember like, oh, was that him? Yeah, it was him. Um, which I love Tombstone. Uh, it's one of my favorite, favorite, it actually is my favorite cowboy movie, period. Uh, and then of course, uh, in Walking Dead, he played Marl Daryl Dixon's brother and he was in the pilot of that, then came back later and it was awesome. Um, yeah. But great choice for Yondu. Loved it. Uh, then we have Karen Gillan. Of course, you may know her now from, of Gardens of the Galaxy and Jumanji because she has a hit, huge hit Jumanji, but Jumanji, whatever you want to call it, Welcome to the Jungle. But uh, before that, she was of course a part of the Whovians fandom with Doctor Who. Yeah, she was. Yeah, <laughs> Amy Pond. I don't don't watch Doctor Who, so I don't know much about that. But that is what made this woman a star and got her enough. I guess star power to get noticed for Nebula because Nebula was, was guaranteed to be a big role. Um, then John C. Riley as one of the corpsmen. This what? dude can make any cameo in any movie and kill it. He, yeah. Oh my god! Like I loved him in uh, the King Kong movie last year, and here here he is in Guardians of the Galaxy a few years ago, and he was amazing in that. <sighs> I love John C. Raleigh, and I hope they go back to um, to that planet in the next movie. 
you know what Zendaya. I really like about it? I honestly, and I'm going to get a lot of hate for this, but I think he's funnier than Will Ferrell. Uh, I agree. I think John C. Riley is funnier than Will Ferrell. Sweet. Yep, I agree. Uh, no hate here. I love that. Uh, Glenn Close playing Nova Prime. What? Glenn Close, the legend, playing Nova Prime. That that was just like right when I saw that casting, I just started clapping. I just I screamed it out from reading on my phone, and then I just started clapping because it was just great. She she has done so many great movies, Fatal Attraction, and um, uh, Don Quixote. Deville. I mean, oh my god. Yeah. And she 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 knocked it out of the park. I mean, she she's got that regal presence in this film, and you can tell that she's a leader, that she's taking charge of everything. But some of her lines, she she still goes off, and it's uh, it's funny. I mean, he she yeah. turns to uh, John C. Riley at one point and is like, uh, "So who's it from? An asshole." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I loved Glenn Close. I loved that choice. Um, Peter Quill's mom, I think I mentioned back on Captain America's first Avenger uh, movie, but she was uh, she was played by um, Laura Haddock, who was, um, of course, Meredith Quill. Uh, played by Laura Haddock. She would appear in Volume 2, but she was also a fan of Captain America when he was selling bonds to people in the first Cap movie. So that was cool. Uh, Benicio Del Toro comes back as the collector great choice uh, we have Sean Gunn playing Craglin of course James Gunn's little brother he is also Rocket Raccoon on the set he is the man they interact with he actually improvised some lines uh, there was a which, oh, the, he improvised the line a bunch of jackasses standing in a circle that line that was improvised by um, Sean Gunn and then uh, Bradley Cooper had to read it that's hilarious. That's actually pretty awesome that a stand-in motion cat guy. <laughs> oh, man. And there were some other like little hidden stars in there, too, or stars in the making. Let's go either way. Peter Quill's grandfather was played by Greg fucking Henry. Yeah. Legend in his own right. Of course, he was in Slither as well. Um, the damn... Uh, he... he uh, he played the sheriff or... No... No, the politician. He played the politician in Slither. But, I mean, he goes back way far away to the to the 90s and some action movies, and he's just awesome. Love. Oh, yeah. He, 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 in Payback, he gives the one of my all-time favorite movie quotes. Uh, Mel Gibson walked into the room, and he's holding two suitcases, alligator suitcases, and Gibson just puts a bullet right through one of them. He's like, really, man? These are alligator. You know how expensive this crap is? And <laughs> it's like, he, 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 he's not scared that Mel Gibson's trying to kill him. He's just yeah. pissed off because he's got a bullet hole in his case. Yep. Um, and then, of course, uh, not of course, but uh, a couple other people. Peter Serafinowicz. Yeah, I'm not even going to say that name. Whatever. <laughs> he, I knew who he was going into this, but since this movie, because um, he was Pete in Shaun of the Dead, the man that got bit in the beginning that, that where Shaun and, uh, realized he was a zombie. Yeah, at the bar. Um, I, no, in the, in the, uh, he was naked in the bathroom. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The roommate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he was the roommate and, uh, yeah. So I knew that was him. Um, but also he was, he would later go on to be the tick in the Amazon show right now. He plays the tick and he's great. Oh yeah. 
Ah, love it. And the guy, just last one I want to mention on the cast, the kid that played young Peter Quill would go on to play in It. He played Stanley in It. Yes. So that's kind of cool. Uh, and he'll be, of course, in flashbacks in the second hit, I'm sure, or at least an opening scene or something. But whatever. Uh, now, Glenn, is there anything you want to bring up before we get into our favorite scenes about the differences between the comics and the movie? Well, it's it's interesting. I got a, a couple things from the 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 comic book world. Um, I, some stuff that I didn't even know. The first appearance of the Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, was in Marvel Superheroes number 18 in January of 1969. Now, of course, the only character in this lineup of the team that we know of is Yondu. Um, Major Vance uh, was the leader of the team, Charlie 27. Uh, These characters pop back up in Guardians 2, where you see Stallone and Ving Rhames and all those guys. That's the original team that Yondu was a part of. And hopefully we get to see them in Guardians 3, James Gunn, please listen. <laughs> um, uh, and So the Guardians of the Galaxy has been around for quite a long time. Uh, in, uh, in between the original team and the current iteration that we have now, uh, they made up a group called the Galactic Guardians. Um, still the same thing. Um, uh, Mainframe, who was in volume two voiced by Miley Cyrus. She was a member of that team. So she wasn't really a member of the original, but they grouped her in with that uh, because it was in that transitional phase between the original team members and what we have in the cinematic universe. Um, There was uh, uh, Drax, the destroyer. I'm glad we have this version that we have. Uh, The comic book version wouldn't work on, on screen Uh, in the comics. Uh, Drax was a man by the name of Arthur Douglas, his, him and his wife, his daughter, uh, making a trip and, um, Thanos is crash landing on earth and Thanos thinks that he see that the family has, has seen him. So he destroys the car. Um, Thanos' grandfather, Kronos puts Arthur's soul into the body of Drax the destroyer. And all his mission is, is to kill Thanos. Um, in this version that we have, his family did die, uh, which I think brings more credence to what Drax does. Uh, it yeah. makes more sense. Um, in the comics, he did have his daughter didn't die in that wreck. She she became uh, Moon Dragon and joined the team uh, fairly recently uh, in the books, which I find very interesting her first appearance was an iron man in 73 and then uh she reappeared as the character moon dragon in daredevil 105 in november of 73 uh groot is the oldest member uh he was uh stanley is the that's the only character that he created uh with the team um he first appeared in tales to astonish number 13 november 1960 and if you look at him he looks nothing like he does now. Uh, he looks like one of the scary trees from the Wizard of Oz. Yeah. Um, uh, Mantis joined the team in 1973. Uh, Bug is a character we haven't seen yet in the movies. He joined in 79. So pretty much everything that we see in the movie now is what is in the comics. Uh, Cosmos, the space dog uh, that we see in the film with the Collector, 
currently he is like their oracle if you will he yeah. is on uh he is at nowhere that giant floating head uh and he runs that space station and he uh it's like uh, a, a hall of justice for the guardians to crash at and and do what they need to do uh oddly enough if you look into nowhere in the movie they make a comment that nowhere was a celestial doing a little digging um we know that peter quill's father ego is a celestial now um nowhere is like the equivalent of his brother so we don't know who killed him we don't know who chopped off his head but we do know that a celestial has died um i don't know if they're going to explain that in the mcu but i don't think they really need to and that giant titan that was using the uh the gem that ronin has um that's actually a when they show the flashback of oh this is an infinity stone this is what it did in the past uh, that's actually a celestial as well um, yes and if if you look close at it it kind of resembles the destroyer that we saw in Thor yeah uh, it's not exactly the destroyer but it resembles it's that type of metallic looking uh, creature so you know with all this cosmic stuff happening uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we see more celestials um, yeah or a watcher or two, but yeah, as far as the, the differences between the comic book versions and what we see on screen now, it's really very close. Um, and hopefully with the introduction of this new team, and if you guys haven't seen guardians two, please go watch it. Um, the, I think, you know, we can really expand that universe, whether you go back in time and do a, you know, their first mission, or even if you continue on and they help out the current, versions of the guardians of the galaxy but yeah it's it's i I like the way that they did this said it yourself bitch we're the guardians of the galaxy and now we're at the part of the podcast where we have done all the setup and broke down everything and we're finally getting to what our favorite scenes are since we don't do reviews on this podcast and it is a companion piece we'll just give our three favorite scenes from the movie and be done with it glenn what is your third favorite scene in guardians of the galaxy uh, my third favorite scene is uh, Yondu's arrow killing the necromancers. Um, that to me that is just awesome. The dude just walks up on Yondu. They've crash landed on the Nova planet, and there's this big epic space battle going on in the background. And the guys, Yondu, put your hands up. Give us the the the, the Infinity Stone. Yada yada yada. Yeah. And he just whistles his happy ass off and zoom 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 there goes that arrow um and it's quite comical because they're all standing there with these holes in their heads or their necks and then all of a sudden they fall the spaceship falls and blows up yeah Uh, it it is one of the most awesome scenes uh in my opinion in the movie um the prison escape hilarious yes hilarious i love it groot even though he was a cgi character the the comedic timing that they put into Groot was just yeah. awesome. I mean, he turns around and pulls out that plug, and you hear Rocket talking to him. Now, we don't need to get this part until last. Oh, I guess we need to speed things up. It's like, dang it, Groot. You get to see Batista uh, whooping ass and taking names. In this scene, you get to hear Nathan Fillion. He's the big blue bad uh, that Groot shoves his fingers up his nose. Um, yeah, Nathan Fillion. It, it just... Oh, yeah, just such an awesome, awesome, 
awesome scene. Uh, and then you, you got Rocket saying, okay, I need that guy's leg. Oh, really? You got his leg? I didn't need that. I just want to see if you'd do it. Yeah. Well, you, you made me spend 30,000 credits. Um, my all-time favorite scene in the movie, Groot Sacrifice. All right. That's your number one scene. It's That's Groot my Sacrifice number one. When he's like, we are Groot. And you've we got are the, Groot. You've got the little lights all over the place. And, and uh, actually, when he let, first let those little pods of light off of his body, it was an inside joke when Drax actually says, when did you learn to do that? Because in the comics, he never learned to do that. Um, so James Gunn wrote that line and there's a joke. Uh, but the, the, oh man, that's when he's, when they fail and you just saw rocket holding little twigs and it was like, oh shit. And oh yeah, just for clarification's sake, uh, Groot did die when he came back as baby Groot. That's not him. That's a different Groot. That's just how they, that's just how that species works, man. Yeah. Yep. Which I'm secretly hoping they go to Xandar and there's a army of Groots ready to beat some big bads ass. So that would be awesome. That would be awesome. Of course, we'd tell the difference because one group would be in some kind of Ravager gear and the rest would just be naked. So let's get that going, please. Uh, but yeah, that, those are great three favorite scenes. I have totally different ones. Uh, awesome. My number three is Nova Corps to the rescue when uh, the Ravagers are all flying at Ronin's ship and the Nova Corps shows up and uh, the the tick... What's his? I can't pronounce his name. I, Peter Sephirophrakis. <laughs> Peter Sashafrash. Uh You know what? He is. Oh man! Like I could. He he was actually in. Uh, what was funny was he was in Parks and Recreation with um with Peter Quill. Um, Chris, Chris Pratt. Pratt. And, and and they were actually very similar. They were both really stupid. Except Peter Sassafrash, uh, he played a, a man called Lord Edgar Covington. And uh, he was trying to go into business with Chris Pratt's character, Andy Dwyer. And, uh, no, what? Uh, but, um... Uh, they tried to go into business together, but they were both so stupid they couldn't get anything accomplished. And that was... Like that was hilarious that they were in a scene together again, and uh, for somehow Peter Quill is the exact same as Andy Dwyer just in space. But now Peter uh, is here and he's all business. He's still got that British accent, but he is all business. And uh, he was like, "Against my wishes, they've we've decided to help you. Prove me wrong or something." And in the midst of all that, uh, Peter Quill's over there screaming, "They got my dick message." <laughs> And I just loved that scene. And then the Nova Corps and their ships line up perfectly and create this weird force field. And I was like, that's so cool. I don't know if I've ever seen that before. I haven't. And and I I tend to watch a decent amount of sci-fi. Decent, I guess, for a normal person. I'm not normal, but whatever. Uh, but I, I just love that. I even wrote here on my three, I put Nova Corps to the rescue. Parentheses, you got my dick message. <laughs> um... <laughs> I just love that movie, that scene. Oh. And everyone was heroes. The Ravengers, this band of outlaws, and, and the Nova Corps. They're all heroes together. Um, and then uh, number two, my number two favorite scene, is um, the beginning, the opening, where Star-Lord's dancing around uh, looking for this treasure. And, and, and he's singing along to the, to the song, and it's like, uh, okay. I mean, <laughs> that... 
I was at first I was like, what's happening here? And then I started watching it more. I was like, I, I, I really, this is really entertaining, but what's happening here? Haven't seen a superhero movie like that before. He's just he's grabbing a rat and he's singing, Hey, and <laughs> like he's boosting around and it set the pace for the whole franchise and what it would be in a, in a perfect intro. Like this, this scene not only set up the movie, it set up the franchise for what we were into. And of course it set the groundwork for what needs to be a Guardians of the Galaxy intro with, um, Mr. Blue Sky opening up with baby or <laughs> toddler Groot or whatever over there on, on volume two. But this was great. It's just set up everything so perfectly. I couldn't think of a better scene to set up Guardians of the Galaxy. I mean, they hit you with the feels with his mom dying and then bam, he's singing. So it's like, okay, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to think Kurt Russell's all cool, then he's going to say, I put a tumor in your mom's brain, and you're going to get pissed off and want to shoot him. <laughs> it's, it's really good. James Gunn has no buffer. It's zero to 100. Um, and then my number one favorite scene is the end, holding hands. It kind of ties in with what I just said about the opening, hitting you in the feels, the, where all the Guardians eventually hold hands, and that, that music just keeps... It keeps like stutter repeating uh, each time a guardian touches each other because they're all getting the power. And the, it starts off with Gamora. She's like, "Peter, take my hand." And it, he, his mind goes to back to his mom and how he never took her hand before she died, and she was asking for him to hold her hand. And and you know, you can just feel all the regret he had his entire life. So much regret he never opened up the present she gave him that night. And he grabs Gamora's hand, and they're both going to die. And then Drax touches him, and then Rocket grabs him. And then they all just turn to uh, Ronan. And uh, he's like, you're mortal. How, how how can you do this? And he's like, you said it yourself, bitch. We're the Guardians of the Galaxy. And, it was, <laughs> and then they just made him dis-a-fucking-peer dis so quick. And it was great. I loved it. Probably the best hero moment in a, in my opinion, in a comic book movie in a very long time. I, I as agree. Far as, as far as them coming together, right there, it's, it's boom, they're a team. Yep. I agree 100%. I agree with that 100%. What percentage? I don't know. 12%. 12%? <laughs> That's a fake laugh. It's real. Totally fake. That is the most real authentic, hysterical laugh of my entire life because that is not a plan. It's barely a concept. Now we're on to our connection to the MCU section. We'll also go over Stan Lee's cameo because there's some interesting tidbits about that. And the end credits because unlike Volume 2, we just have two to go over on this one. Uh, volume 2, when that hits, we'll have 17,000. We'll probably just read the, the list of people that worked on the movie. That'll be, <laughs> be a five-hour podcast. Um... <laughs> So, connections to the MCU. I'm going to throw out some that I've got, Glenn. You throw out some that you've got. And if you need to fix mine or correct me, throw that out there too or add to it, whatever. Uh, the, just to give you an instance, uh, or just uh, how my mind works um, into this warped mind. The first note I wrote was Jackson Pollock uh, was referenced for the second time in the MCU because Iron Man 2 made that reference. Because... Uh, um, Peter Quill, in an ad lib from Chris Pratt, said it looked like a Jackson Pollock painting in here. And uh, it's like, okay. Iron Man actually appreciates Jackson Pollock paintings too. Because there was that scene with the art stuff. So, cool. Cool. Um, 
Also, while devising a plan to stop Ronan, Quill says that he has 12% of a plan, and that's the same percentage that Tony Stark gave Pepper for the planning of Stark Tower in the Avengers. 12% yes. of the plan. So, okay. Keeps going with the Iron Man connection to Peter Quill. Um, uh, it, it's, it's neat that Cosmo is in the collector's scenes, because he operates, like, as you said, he operates um, as the Oracle, uh, uh, since she's the most popular. She's the computer guy. Let's put it in Spider-Man terms. She's, he's, Cosmo's <laughs> the guy at the computer, even though he's a d- telepathic dog from early Soviet space missions. Uh, somehow he is the computer guy. And he lives on nowhere. Uh, and it, Maybe we'll see him get there. Probably not. It was just neat that he was in the movie. Um, same for Howard the Duck, he was in the, one of the post-credit scenes. We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, this movie was actually released 28 years to the day that Howard the Duck was inter- was uh, was released. That, <laughs> that movie is, sucks so bad. <laughs> that is weird as shit. Um, <laughs> what? Um, uh, this also marks the appearance of the fourth Infinity Stone. This is where we really get into MCU stuff that matters, uh, which is the Power Stone inside the orb that Quill stole. Uh, the other um, stones was the Tesseract, which is a space stone seen in the first Avenger and the Avengers. Captain America, the first Avenger. God dang it, Captain One and Avengers. Uh, the second stone is in Loki's staff, which uh, we'll see eventually go into Vision, but it's the Mind Stone. And um, then we, because uh, we see that in the post credits of Winter Soldier when they're doing experiments, and then of course we'll see that in our next podcast, Age of Ultron. And then the the third um, stone was the Ether. Uh, it's the Reality Stone, and that was in Thor: Dark World. Um, of course, it looked like this weird. I don't know, this weird cosmic STD in between two stones. Like it was a really <laughs> shitty space pastrami sandwich or something. And uh, it's actually, you know, it turns into a stone. It's it's the ether. And so that means that we know of, as of this movie, Guardians of the Galaxy, we know of the power stone, the reality stone, the space stone, and the mind stone. And we still haven't seen the time or the soul stone. So we'll see where that comes in. Because I don't know if... At this moment, we've actually seen those, have we? No. Okay, so, cool. Two more stones to go. Um, and, and, of course, there's... I could give descriptions on that, but we'll get to them when we get to them, apparently. Um, but Adam Warlock was actually in the screenplay as a cameo at the end of this film. They waited to hold off on it, thank God, because it really makes sense where they put it in Volume 2. But his cocoon did appear in the collector's possessions, and it showed damaged and empty in the post credit scene. But this is kind of proof that this scene is just what it is. It doesn't mean anything, and it's not canon, because an Easter egg that's treated as canon can always be retconned when they have a story to go around it. Yeah, I think that was more for fan service and be like, ooh, look at there. Yeah, uh, an Easter egg isn't meant to be a canon story piece. It's just meant to be like, oh, well, there was a drawing on that wall. What does that mean? It it means they put that drawing on the wall because a normal fan wouldn't know what it means, but you know what it means. Yeah, That's all yeah. that means. So it's an Easter egg. Um, but that's cool because once we get to Volume 2, oh, they did that so well. Um, it's so cool. 
then the collector uh, shows a recording of previous owners of the Infinity Stone. I mentioned this earlier, but I forgot to bring up his name. Uh, that uh, the, the Power Stone that destroyed that planet, that Celestial. He was actually Eson the Searcher. And uh, he's from comic book Eternals number 9. From 1977, so uh, that's that, that. I forgot I wrote that. I forgot where I wrote that name down, but here I have in my notes for the connection to MCU because that gives us a celestial that you know used an, an Infinity Stone right here in canon. Um, and uh, then, of course, we've gone over the fact that Groot is Baby Groot is a different Groot than Groot, and that makes me sad. But I also just want to throw out there the collector's trophies. There's tons of generic and unknown stuff, and just stuff is like, oh, this is a plant. Like when you go online, you'll see these different things. What was in this one? This one? This one? Mysterious figure. Oh, maybe it's Bojack Horseman or whatever damn Thor ripoff that one guy was. Later, uh, Bill. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, they weren't. They weren't. I wrote down the names of things that were real. So there was uh, the collector has the ether. Uh, he has a Chitari in one of those things, a Cosmic Cocoon. Um, he has Cosmo the Dog, a Dark Elf, a Frost Giant, Howard the Duck, uh, a Krylorian, and a Hectarian, which you both see those species on Xandar. Um, I believe the Krylorian is actually maybe the slave that works for him. I can't remember. Yes. Uh, he has right. Zeronian. He also has Slither Slugs which is neat because he made Slither and they look like aliens and they were aliens in that movie. So that works. Uh, so Slither's in the same uh, universe. Great. Uh, so the grandfather grew up to be a politician and he was a dick. <laughs> he gets mad when people drink his Dr. Pepper. Um, awesome. Is there any connections to the MCU that I missed that you can think of that you broke down that you noticed? He's, uh, like, n- let's see. No, I think he hit everything that I had on there. Um, the, we're going to see the Nova Corps again, of course, Thanos, um, the other, of course, the Collector. Um, you know, I, yeah, I really wish he would officially announce it. It's been said either way, but I did write Beta Ray Bill down in my notes. Um, it, it, hey, no, he said get, it wasn't. He, the, James Gunn has gone on record saying that was not Beta Ray Bill. Well, it's in my heart it will be Beta Ray Bill because I want him on the big screen. Um, He's but, dead, uh, Glenn. We found that out in Thor Ragnarok. <laughs> I don't mean Living to like, take your dreams and crush them, but I'm going to right here. I want to see Mr. Ed in the MCU. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I think you hit everything as far as the connections and the really cool. I really enjoyed that collector scene because, you know, yeah, like you said, you got the slither slugs. And, yeah. Yeah. So cool. All right. And the Stan Lee cameo. Um, well, since we're talking about the collector, his original cameo was supposed to be he was in the collector one of those tubes, and it's a deleted scene on the Blu-ray or digital whatever you get them on. But um, he was actually in one of the tubes. Groot walks by and he flips off Groot, <laughs> and uh, they they cut the scene, and um, and they 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 just thought it was inappropriate. But uh, they. Uh, I think it was because Groot is so nice and loving, and Lee Stanley being such a dick would like. It was like, oh my god, what? Why would you do that? But it, it that would have been weird to see Stanley do that, especially with all the kids that look up to him. I'm kind of glad he didn't do that, because um, it's like, oh man, he just he's flipped off the tree. Everyone loves the tree. He's so cute. <laughs> Even as an adult, he was cute. Um, and it was probably an homage to the fact that Groot was the only one he created of those. Yeah. Guardians, but his real cameo was that he was a Zandarian citizen, 
that rocket raccoon scanned when he was looking for the bounty and um he was called like a pervert or something like that you know hitting on a younger <laughs> woman which is often a thing that stanley is accused of because it's true um and uh yeah it was it was I mean, I've been at Dragon Con. I know what he demands when he lets people get close to him, and it's it's never a male, and it's never a woman without little clothes on. So, it, it fits him. It fits him. Uh, this was a cool cameo. However, James Gunn would give us the best Stanley cameo, which will be in a later podcast, Volume Two. Oh, I can't wait. I keep bringing up Volume Two because it's just such a good movie. It just improves in every way. Ah, but uh, what's I love... cool about it? This one flows. I mean, really, you can watch this one and two back to back, and it's yep. seen, it, it just seems seamless. Yep. Um, but yeah, uh, this, I, I thought the Stanley cameo was c- cool. I thought it was neat. It was funny, at least. Yeah, it keeps up with the whole Hugh Hefner cameo yeah. that we saw. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Like, that's his favorite thing to do. But then we had the end credit scenes. And one became super famous and spawned tons of toys and plushies and everything. And probably. Um, it, it it changed how he wrote number two. Like he didn't write number two before this came out, or before he was done doing Baby Groot. And I think he just loved Baby Groot so much he made that a huge focal point of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. But Baby Groot scene where he's where Jackson Five's uh, "I Want You Back" comes on, which is James Gunn's favorite song of all time. Fun fact. Uh, but and he wanted to fit it in there somewhere. He fit it in there in this dancing scene. And Batista, as Drax, is sharpening his knife. And Baby Groot stops every time Drax looks at him. Um, seemingly like, okay, he may be new, but he does retain some memory, at least. Yeah, like, it's like he... That's like where he it gets can, confusing. Yeah, it's like any every time he regenerates, um, he keeps the memories of his past self, but it's a new... He starts off new again. Yeah. Like, you know, when you prune a tree it, or you plant, you know, you plant a sapling, it's it may it may have come from this other tree. It's a part of that other tree, but it's its own new self now. Oh, sapling Groot sounds so cute. Uh, <laughs> and then we get the true end end credit because actually James Gunn said maybe Groot's too good to not put as a mid credit scene like it cannot wait till the end. Uh, so the ending, we got Seth Green voicing Howard the Duck. When Cosmo's licking the collector, and Howard the Duck's like, "You let him lick you like that? Disgusting." <laughs> or gross, or whatever he says. I don't, I don't truly remember exactly which word he uses, but it's something along those lines. And it was neat because it's like, "Oh, Howard the Duck's here," and we'd see him in Volume Two as well. Yes. Yeah, I yes. liked it. That was neat. It was cool. Uh, it's not like the most important end credits, but these movies are so separated that uh, Baby Groot was very important. Obviously, it set up Baby Groot, even like well, Toddler Groot, something like that, in Volume 2. But Howard the Duck didn't set up anything but another cameo from Howard the Duck, which is fine. Oh, yeah. And our final section of the podcast where we rank this movie... Pod, Black Panther came out too late, so we couldn't accurately rank it without going back and retconning all of our movies. And we're not DC, so we're not going to do that. So um, uh, we're not going to retcon our rankings. We're just going to start here, ignoring Black Panther, out of 17 movies. Glenn, where does Guardians of the Galaxy rank for you out of 17 MCU movies? Guardians of the Galaxy ranks number nine. It broke my top ten. Ooh, snap. Number nine. Good spot. All right. Um, and, and what is it that, that really put it up there for you, that number nine? Because that's, that's right there at the halfway mark. I think you know, what really got it for me was the 
the way that the cast gelled together, uh, the writing of the story, um, a, a lot of the stuff was ad-libbed. Um, and you can tell that uh, they had a fun time filming it. Um, we didn't get a whole lot of exposition about backstory on the characters. I mean, we found out what we needed to about uh, yep. uh, Star-Lord. We found out what we needed to about Drax, why he's trying to kill Thanos. Um, we got just enough to know about uh, Gamora and her sister that it we didn't need all the ex- other exposition explanations for origin stories. Uh, it just flowed. The movie flowed. It was. It, it started out. It hit you in the feels, and it ended in the feels. And it all was about his mom. He didn't get. He, he didn't say goodbye because he was scared. He didn't want to have to say goodbye. And at the end of the movie, it was his mom that was telling him, "You know, it's okay." And that's why it, it ranked up there with me. I mean, it was a good, fun it, it was a sci-fi movie. It was an action movie. It was a comedy. It was just. It, it had everything. Yes. Uh, I, I loved it as well. I'm not too far behind you. Of course, uh, breaking the top ten is, is one thing when there's only 17 movies because um, it's like the NBA, and it's like, oh, well, the top 60% get into the playoffs. Uh, so it's 17 movies, so break, mine are mine's just past that top ten. It's just past the halfway mark. Mine is actually, I would rank it 11 out of 17. Um, and the only reason... Is that when I and, and don't get me wrong, this is just against about the MCU. We stopped doing our our ratings because it was just going to rate above all other superhero movies, these MCU movies. So we stopped doing that. This is just Marvel fighting Marvel, and it's just sometimes you get a little bit of cannibalization amongst your movies. So uh, if you if you remember, Iron Man three um, got number twelve for me. Uh, of course, uh, of course, in my rankings, I have um, Iron Man. One is five. Iron Man two is seventeen. Uh, Incredible Hulk is fifteen. Cap one is sixteen. Thor is fourteen. Iron Man three is twelve. So so far, I only have Winter Soldier because it's my number one above this. Iron Man above this. So really, you look at it, and Avengers is number six. So I don't have too much. Well, Thor eight's eight. Thor two is eight. I don't have too much above Guardians of the Galaxy. I, I start reading them off, and it's like, yeah, I do. I do, but really, this is better than this. This entry is better than almost all of Phase One. Oh yeah, I mean it's almost better than all of Phase One. So, really, really awesome, awesome, awesome movie. Um, and that is that is where I rank it: eleven out of seventeen. And the next week we get to Avengers. Age for, of for Marvel, for Marvel to come out and make a movie about a team that, unless you were a diehard fan of the comic. People didn't know who the Guardians were. They're like, oh, what, what the hell is this crap? Why are they making a movie about uh, uh, space pirates? Yeah. Um, for them to do that and it to be a hit like it was, that tells me that there are properties that Marvel still has that, if they work it right, can be just as good as Guardians. And I don't think, honestly, I don't think Marvel, Disney... I don't think they can make a bad film. Yep. Because they've got the formula right. I just I, I don't know something about everybody was like this is not going to go anywhere. This is they're they are betting on a, on the long horse. There's there's no way that this is going to happen and be like it is. And boy howdy did James Gunn knock it out of the damn park. Oh man, he did so good. I'm so happy for this movie. Um 
and and I'm and I'm really excited to go next week. Uh, Avengers Two: Age of Ultron, but this this movie was such a cool. This really set the bar for Ant Man, which would come out about a year later, and how Ant Man would really burn the house down with with a great movie. And it's like, wow, you really go after the oddballs two years in a row. But uh, I'm so thankful for Guardians of the Galaxy. It's such a fun franchise. It brought so many people into the Marvel Cinematic Universe fandom that wasn't there before. So it, it, really, I put Guardians of the Galaxy and Ant Man and Doctor Strange and Black Panther all in the same boat as far as they brought in different demographics. My girlfriend, her favorite's Doctor Strange. She enjoyed Thor for Tom Hiddleston, but that was about it. She didn't really enjoy much of the Marvel stuff until Doctor Strange. I know a lot of people that didn't get into it until Paul Rudd took Ant-Man because it's like, Paul Rudd, he's a legend. He's playing one of the actual titular superheroes. Um, and you had Black Panther, of course, with all it's doing for an African-American fan base that wasn't in the extreme spotlight represented yet. Um, of course we had, um, we've, we've had, uh, um, war machine and, and Falcon. Um, uh, but really this is a guy that's the title superhero and he's also the main star in his movie. So it, that, that was cool for what it was too. And, um, it, then gardens of the galaxy. So different. So cool. It's my parents favorite. Uh, and they, that's, they really enjoy those movies. They'll watch those movies on purpose. Not just when I bring them to watch with them. So, yeah, uh, but yeah, I'm very grateful for this franchise and for James Gunn. Thank you, James Gunn, and thank you all of you for listening to our podcast every week with us. Of course, we do other podcasts on gaming, on wrestling, on random Netflix stuff. But right now, we're really, really sinking our teeth into the uh, Road to Infinity Challenge because there's been nothing like this, and there probably will not to be anything like this in the future. It's twenty movies. In, in in one storyline. Oh my god. And, and it's it's eighteen within ten years. Or nineteen within ten years and we get another one. So twenty one years, twenty movies, great stories. Thank you for listening. Hey, Share you this. Know, I wanna add one thing real quick about this franchise. Okay. Um I, I everybody knows by now Kevin Smith had a massive heart attack. Yeah. Uh, thankfully he didn't week. pass yep. away. Yeah. Chris Pratt sends out a tweet you know i don't know you i'm a big fan have been since clerks sending out prayers and love to you hope you get better and i'll be damned if he didn't get backlash we don't want your religious talk why are you praying you know we don't need to see you know blah 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 james gunn came to the defense and i gotta give props to these two guys they didn't have to do that chris pratt didn't have to swim that send that tweet james gunn didn't have to defend him and it's not a religious thing it's somebody who he respected and who he, I guarantee you Kevin Smith's going to have a role for him in a movie. Whether he takes it or not, Kevin Smith's going to do something for Chris Pratt. And yeah. for all you people out there who want to bash him because of what he said, kiss my ass. All right. Just kiss my ass. And I got to give props. I know James Gunn will probably never hear this podcast. Chris Pratt may never hear this podcast. But I just, I tip my hat to you guys because you went above and beyond and you didn't have to. Yeah, so, um, with that amount of anger, Glenn, give your <laughs> Twitter handle real quick. You can find me at JokerHaHaHa79. 
and you can find me at SYCO1316. You can find us collectively at Take the Studios on all social media and on youtube.com slash Take the Studios where you can find our gaming videos for charity. We try to do our best with those and we uh, try to make sure it's shared in there. You, if you watch them, you're going to get tons of things that pop up. It's like, hey, donate, donate. Uh, donate a dollar if you can. It goes through Google so you know it's safe. Um, and, and thank you. Thank you for listening. Rate us, share us, whatever. Like us. Subscribe to us. And don't forget, Glenn told you to kiss his ass, so find him on Twitter. <laughs> Goodbye. <We are> <laughs> oh, God, we are grouped.